welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bougay. How you doing, Chris? Uh, okay, Rachel. Still uh, you're <laughs> tired. Why are you so tired, Chris? That's because uh, I just got back from ATIA and FETC. I was there for an entire week, uh, conferencing it up, just chatting with everybody, many presentations. It was a whirlwind. And then the day that I came back, uh, there was some issues at the Orlando airport and that held us all up from getting back. And so I didn't get back until the wee hours in the morning, spend one day kind of unpacking and spending time with the family and back to work we are. And I was telling you before we, we went on air, it's so hard after a conference, you just want to get home. Like you're like, okay, I'm tired. Like it's great, right? It's inspiring. You learn lots of new information. You meet lots of great people, but at the end, you're just like, you're so spent. And so to have like, to get to the airport and then have a delay is just the worst case scenario. Well, it's so true. I mean, and, and there's, there's two aspects of that. One, there was my whole family that I haven't seen in a week. And so I was just desperate to get back and, you know, and, and see them. But then you come back so energized with uh, all these things you want to do and research and find out more. Uh, you saw this app that you want to go play with and a list of apps that you want to go play with and this whole new philosophy of, of how to use an app or so much stuff to digest and then and share back. Like I want to take all my notes and put them in a Google Doc and then share them with the team. And, and, and then the other colleagues and just say, look, this is all the good stuff that I saw. You know, so you come back with this energy and you just want to get back and get into it, you know? Yeah, definitely. So what are some of the, the takeaways, the, the, the gems of wisdom that you learned or heard during the presentations? Well, I even hesitate to say this because I'm for fear that I'm going to leave somebody out, but I met so many people who listen to the podcast and um, who, who are on the podcast or who we've uh, pegged to be future guests on the podcast. And uh, I, it's like I've met Vicki Clark, you know, I'd never met her before. Uh, Rachel Langley, I got to meet her. I'd never met her before. Uh, Marlene Cummings, who is, uh, I think we're going to have in, in a future episode. I got to meet her and the list just goes on and on of people who I've only met, you know, virtually uh, or digitally or even just heard of because like in some of those, I wasn't even part of the interview. So I was just uh, listening like anyone else to the podcast. And then I got to meet them face to face and chat with them and, and get pictures with them and, and kind of, you know, fanboy out a little bit. Uh, these people that are kind of famous in the field, you know? No, absolutely. And um, it's really great. The conferences that you went to, very AAC specific um, versus, you know, something more general like a state conference or ASHA. It's kind of like, it's, it's our people, right? It's like a rooms and, you know, exhibition halls full of our people and our technology. So Absolutely. That's definitely ATIA. I mean, I, uh, Chris Klein was there, so I got to hang out with him. I went to one of his presentations. I got to meet David McNaughton, right? I went to a session with uh, Kathy Bingler and uh, Jennifer Kent Walsh, you know, who, you know, we, we talk about the impact model and that these are the purveyors of that. They're the ones who started it. So got to meet some other uh, AAC users who I've uh, asked them very politely to be on the podcast as uh, future guests. So, and they very uh, were eager to, to do that. So you'll, you'll be hearing some of those in the future. Now, FETC is totally a different animal. You know, it is uh, definitely more of a general education focus. Uh, Sal Khan, for instance, from Khan Academy, did the keynote speaker. He was the keynote speaker there. And um, it's it was much more massive conference. I think there was like 3,000 people at the ATIA conference. And I can't even imagine how many people were at FETC. It was huge. So, and it's much more general ed focused, but they have an inclusion track, which I was, I was fortunate enough to be a large part of. 
Uh, and that I feel is something, it's a philosophy I've always carried with me since I've ever started going to conferences is that uh, when I go to a, a conference that's more special ed focused, like, like ATIA, I try and bring general education mentalities to those people. At, at ATIA, I talked more about project-based learning and the maker movement and uh, open educational resources. And these are all concepts that are kind of big in, in, in just being in schools right now. But then when you go to someplace like FETC, there I want to talk more about AAC and inclusion and uh, dyslexia and tools that, that really help people with disabilities. It's very infrequent that I get to be in front of a general education audience, you know. And so I, it's, just a, it's just a thing that has served me well over the years is trying to parcel out how, how those presentations would be different depending on the audience that you're presenting to. It's so true. And it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like you're ATIA and you're not really talking about AAC. I mean, you are, but you're talking big picture, right? Because the people in, at ATIA, they know a lot about AAC. Um, how can we start integrating all the things that we know about AAC into the broader picture? And then it's the opposite, right? When you're not around a bunch of people who know about AAC, we got to teach more of the foundations. Exactly. I mean, I need we need more general education teachers to know about AAC. So I'm going to bring that up at FETC because that's when I'm in front of them. You know, they don't need to hear about the, the maker movement. I mean, some of them do. Don't get me wrong, but you don't need to hear it from me. You know, they can hear that from a hundred other people that are doing maker spaces around there. Uh, around their school, around the country. So they don't need to hear about open educational resources from me. I mean, a little bit, but uh, in the context of how that helps people with disabilities. I have a question for you, Chris. What is the hardest thing about presenting at a conference for you? Well, geez, that is a good question. What hardest thing? <laughs> I'm really putting you on the spot here. You weren't expecting this, were you? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I wasn't at all. Uh, let's see. I, I'd say the hardest thing about presenting is um, knowing your audience is definitely part of it. Preparing ahead of time. So people think this stuff just rattles off your brain. And so mm-hmm. lots of, there's a lot of prep work that goes, but, but not making it feel like, like that. Um, and then I think this is the, this is the number one thing um, now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, so often I go to these conferences and I sit there and I'll sit in a session and I watch people talk to me for an hour or talk to the room for an hour because that's sort of the traditional model of a conference session. Uh, When you ask what's the hardest thing about presenting, it's about getting these people in the room together and making an experience where they can share information with each other, where it's not just me lecturing to them for an hour. It's getting the conversation in a way that it's, and then also that it's not just um, this amorphous conversation that doesn't have any structure, you know, because one person might dominate the conversation. And and so uh, we we provided uh, different tools to have conversations around, uh, like we use Padlet a lot. Padlet is a, like an online sticky board. You can put sticky notes up and, and, and people can comment on them and, and upvote them and say, oh, I really like this comment. And, and so tools like that and, and designing experiences like that where people can interact with each other and still walk away feeling like they have a, a good experience and learn something without necessarily being lectured to for an hour. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's just, it's so 
disheartening when you go to a conference and you are really excited, you read the title of a presentation and you're like, yes, I can't wait for this. And you sit in the audience and you're being just kind of lectured to. And even worse than that is when it's just a research study and you know, you're hearing all the details about this research, but we're not actually figuring out how can we start implementing this? What are the mm-hmm. practical takeaways that influence our practice because of this research? Um, and so I think it's really important to when you're 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 the one at the podium figuring out, you know, not only how can I make this practical so that the clinicians who are listening to this can really take something away and start using it, um, but also as you mentioned, make it interactive. Um, it's the benefit of having a room full of people. Um, you know, there's so much online education now. You can get a lot of the information, you know, on webinars and, um, you know, reading blog articles and the research articles. Um, that how, what's the benefit of having everybody in a room? And I think that's, it is a challenge, but I know, Chris, that you are up for that challenge. And I guarantee everybody was excited to see you speak and um, definitely engaged with the material that you were presenting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I got a lot of good feedback after each of the each of the presentations that I did. People came up afterwards and were like really uh, excited and very, um, very uh, nice about it. Because one of the sessions I did, uh, again, this is one of the, the, the trickier ones, was called an AAC Spotlight Session. So there was me and Vicki Clark and Caroline Musselwhite and Gail Van Tatenhove. And I'm like, what am I doing up here with these people? You know, and it was put on by um, Carol Zangieri. So uh, she was the one who organized this. At that session, it was packed, Rachel. I mean, they, they, they could have had a bigger room because there was people standing in the back and people sitting around the floor. I mean, you've been in those sessions where, you know, you just can't yeah. have more people in the room. It's we're busting the, at the scenes. Yeah, where the overflow rooms are overflowed. Yes, yes. <laughs> this, this conference didn't have overflow rooms uh, for this particular talk. So it was really nerve-wracking. And in that in particular, and because I only had... 12 to 15 minutes to, to make the points I wanted to make. This wasn't a session where you could um, get the, the audience involved too much, you know, because the, the time constraints were such that you had to move, you know, to get through it. And in that particular spotlight session, I sort of made the case that we have all these technologies that we use that were originally designed for people with disabilities that have blossomed to be mainstream technologies, you know, like touch screens and a Google voice assistants or Alexa, you know, voice dictation, uh, word prediction, uh, the on-demand videos, you know, one-to-one initiatives. All of those we use, we've been using in special ed or people with disabilities for a long time. And so that led me to make the case that maybe what we're doing with AAC is that we're thinking of it as each individual student, which is, of course, we should be. But could, could we take the trend of something that started with a person with a disability and blossomed to be something that was good for everybody? Could we take that same philosophy and apply it to AAC, which led me to... The, the concept that we've talked about on this podcast, we keep coming back to it. Uh, the one that Eric Enger uh, episode about a specific language system first approach, which is the idea that you would take uh, an AAC system like uh, one particular app and you give that to everybody as a starting point and then you move from there. You wouldn't say that that's the app, it's the only app you would use, but uh, that you and then that you would pigeonhole people and try and force people to use an app if it wasn't right for them. But just instead of doing every individual kid gets their own assessment to figure out what's the perfect thing that we don't end up using because implementation is so hard, what if we 
flipped it and said, everyone gets this thing and we focus on implementation so we don't spend as much time on our assessment. I brought it in from the idea that um, transitions are really hard. Rachel, I talk about how many teachers I did all this training with and then they're not there anymore because they moved on to different positions, you know, mm-hmm. that might solve that issue. So, so that, that one was, uh, people were so nice to come up They're bringing it all back around. People were so nice to come up at the end because I was really nervous to, to, to mention that in this big, big room. I've, I've mentioned it before and, and uh, it has not always gone over well because it's a shift. It's a different way to look at a problem that we've traditionally been solving with by, by one student with an evaluation. Every, every student gets an evaluation at a time. So a lot of people came up afterwards and said how much they appreciated uh, taking that risk and bringing that idea out into the spotlight and... Um, and it was, I think we're going to have future episodes on it where more people said, yeah, I'd like to talk about how we're doing something similar. We have a version of that, or how we're making that work in our neck of the woods. And so I, I furiously put all of those people in my Google and made a list that, uh, that we could call upon to, to get them on the podcast in the future. That's awesome. And I'm actually really proud of you, Chris, because that's a hard, it takes a lot of courage to stand up in front of a room full of not only your peers, but I mean, influencers, right? I mean, you were standing on stage next to influencers in our field. So I feel like the stakes are pretty high at that point. Um, But I think that it's really important to start having open conversations. There's problems with the current model of AAC implementation. Um, You know, how can we start solving those problems? We need to start doing something different. It's like the old adage, like, you know, you can't keep doing the same thing expecting a different result. Um, And so we know that there's problems with implementation. We know that we're spending heavy emphasis on assessment. And then, you know, we're dropping a, a device in a child's lap and then we don't have enough time to implement and teach the implementation, which, you know, if a AAC device is collecting dust in the corner, how is that helping anybody? It's not. Yeah. And then even when you do spend the time with implementation, it doesn't matter if I spent all year with the fifth grade teacher and got her a totally, oh my gosh, she's the best implementer of AAC when that kid's going on to sixth grade next year and he's going to have a whole different team supporting him. And same thing, maybe I got a third grade teacher, but she left at the end of the year, you know? Yeah. Uh, being an autism teacher can be very challenging and difficult and, and they, they make the same amount as, as any other uh, teacher in the building and they get you know less time uh, for planning, uh, more IEPs, more paperwork. Um, and so it's challenging. Even like I said, I said in the talk, Rachel, I said, I, throwing a couple extra thousand dollars at an autism teacher and thinking that's, you think that's the solution. That's not going to keep them. There's got to be some different ways. So, so this maybe is a different approach. So I appreciate you saying that. And, and, and I appreciate everyone who came up to me afterwards um, or who has written me or, uh, with, because I do, I think it's time we have to start looking at it from a different perspective. We also got to talk a little bit about this at uh, EdCamp. So EdCamp happened again at ATIA, which was great. And so again, we got, we pulled a bunch of people together. Vicki Haddix was there. Uh, Carol Zangari, she sat in there for a little bit. And we had a conversation about this again uh, in an open format. And it went over much better this year. I've had that conversation again at previous ed camps where uh, people just people were not ready to hear it at that time. But here, we uh, this, this philosophy has been out there for maybe five years now. And I think people are becoming more and more open to it because they continue to see how implementation is uh, struggling. No, absolutely. And I think that anytime we can make the shift to more systematic um, processes and having, you know, an entire school system familiar with, you know, a very specific app, 
That way it's, it's, it's a community approach, right? It's not just like a specific kid for a specific classroom. It's like, okay, you know, you want to work at this school? You need to know about this app. You need to know how to, you know, implement AAC. And, and I think when you attach it to a specific system, obviously there's downsides because not every system has all the capacity that, you know, one particular system might have. Um, but generally speaking, they're all very robust. Um, all the options that we're choosing, the pool of options that we're choosing from are very robust language systems. Um, and so I, I completely agree. I think we've talked about it a lot on the podcast and we're going to continue to talk about it because I think it's really important um, to have an open forum and an open discussion about what are some ways that we can start thinking outside of the box to remediate some of the problems that we're experiencing in the field. Now, Rachel, there was something else awesome at this, uh, at ATIA particularly, and that was the AT Maker Fair, or AT Maker Space that they had. So Saturday morning, uh, the, the conference goes from, I mean, depending if you go to a pre-conference, it goes from Tuesday to Saturday. And uh, on Saturday morning from 9 to 12, Bill Rico had put together this AT Maker Space uh, he, it was the, the one who kind of uh, instigated it. And then he'll tell you that there's all these other groups that got involved. And so I wasn't really involved because I also had a session, which I'd love to tell you more about the AAC agreement session that I have to tell you about that happened at the same time as the makerspace. So I only got to go down there for like a half hour uh, at the end of it, but it was amazing. It's exactly what you want a conference to be. It's, it's, Again, this was a hands-on area where people could play with low-tech tools and, and all these different solutions that people were cutting up pool noodles and attaching wires to them and making robots that walk. That's one of my colleagues, Judy Schoonover. She made stuff like that. And, and then there's uh, a bunch of organizations that were there, like uh, local high schools, uh, AT maker clubs that were 3D printing uh, artificial limbs and control uh, adaptations to game controllers and just so many, they brought 3D printers, and it's just to see the energy of the young people there solving problems and, and creating things. And then the best thing, Rachel, the best thing was, it's unreal, I'm gonna uh, make sure I throw up a picture of it in the, in the show notes, is this organization made a Bumblebee. So Bumblebee the Transformer, out of a, uh, you know, like you know, like the movie Bumblebee and Transformer Bumblebee, I, I yeah. Yeah. So it, this, this one kid, he likes to go to uh, comic cons and his family likes to go to comic book conventions. And so they tricked out his power wheelchair and made it into this bumblebee with this keyboard that the kid could hit the, uh, the buttons on the keyboard and it made the bumblebee, his, 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 his eyes lit up I mean, uh, and it made different noises and sounds because bumblebee is actually a sort of an AAC user, right? He loses his voice in the movie and, um, and he has to find alternative ways to communicate. And so it just fit perfectly at this conference. You find Bumblebee is kind of an inspiration and they just made it into this awesome thing. This kid was, was driving it around the, uh, the, the convention hall. It was just a sight to behold. It was really inspiring. That is amazing. And I mean, we always talk about things that are fun and motivating and like what's more fun and motivating than that? I just love it. And I love what happens when you get a room full of people with shared passions and interests um, and creativity and, you know, bringing that all together. It's just, it's really remarkable the kinds of things that come out of, um, you know, situations like that. So, but it sounds like it was a really awesome time and um, I'm really excited that you had such a great experience. Yeah, I really was, Rachel. The, the, the other big session that I got to do was with um, Sean Pearson and Chris Chikoski kelly who were the, um, the, remember we had them on the AAC agreements episode. 
And they, uh, we got together and we did at EdCamp, we did have another AAC agreements where uh, the people that sat around that table um, came up with maybe, I think, six more agreements. And then the session, though, that we had on Saturday morning, it's the last session of the day, the uh, last session of the conference, and we had 35 people show up, including uh, Linda Burkhart, Tabby jones Willibur was there, Deanna Wagner. I mean, these people are, again, sort of either they're already famous or they're becoming famous in the field of AAC and more. I don't mean to leave out other people. And they, what we did during that session is we just said, hey, you should know that the last three ed camps, or for at least three ed camps, we've been talking about these AC agreements. They exist. And we put together a website, a Google site, where we put all the research that supports each of the agreements. And then we said, you know, we feel like there's even more here. We can't just keep doing this once a year. It's too slow, you know. What can we do? Can we have a committee? Can we have a way that people can submit to what they think are agreements? We had some ideas, but we really wanted to crowdsource it out to all these other great minds when they came. So we split up into groups and we had people brainstorm about how these AAC agreements could kind of take a life of their own and who would be responsible for them. Uh, Kathy Howery was there, who's also been on the podcast. And so we all brainstormed together and they put together some ideas and we're, and we're taking like kind of the next step to make that uh, a legitimate thing. It's not just, uh, you know, a couple of people sitting around a table thinking these what the agreements should be, but something that is more uh, verified and research-based and, and, and maybe we could do it at other conferences where the, the three of us aren't there, you know, uh, Chris, Sean, and I, people could, could do their own. Uh, like Vicki Haddix was there and she was saying, well, maybe I'll go back to Tennessee and my next conference, maybe I'll lead a session on this and see what else people can come together with and what other agreements we can come up with and maybe submit them to this portal and, and see if we could come up with uh, and this robust portal of, of, of things we all agree upon and the research that supports it. Yeah, I love that. Anytime you're getting people in our field to agree, I think it's a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, we definitely need it. <laughs> Yes. There's a lot of varying viewpoints, which is good. I think it's a good, um, you know, to have an open forum and to have varying viewpoints to open your perspectives and the way you think about things um, and to challenge the perspectives that you currently hold. So Chris, talk to me a little bit about the interviews. We're able to do a few um, small talk interviews uh, while you were at the conference. So let's talk a little bit about them. Yeah. So I was able to grab three different people to do interviews. Uh, the first one was easy enough because at FETC, my roommate for FETC was Mike Morata. So Mike Morata is uh, not really known in the AAC space as so much as he is as a general AT person. And he's really uh, big in accessibility and he's really big into Chrome accessibility, telling people about their Chrome features that, that can be used to help uh, students with disabilities. So we talk a little bit about that in our hotel room. So it's nice and quiet, not a lot of background noise. But then I also got to meet with Christine Bodden and her son. So Christine, if you don't know her, is the person that started the, the wildly popular Facebook group, AAC for the SLP. I'm constantly in there and I'm constantly learning. People are constantly posting questions if you're, and it's not just for SLP, she tells you that. So I'm going to let her talk about that. Um, but her son is doing this amazing thing with adapted toys. So, uh, so I grabbed them. We, we went into a room together and we had uh, chatted with her son first and then chatted with Christine second. And we had this just great conversation. So 
I'm really looking forward to it for you all to, to listen to these, uh, these small talk episodes. I'm so happy that you locked down Christine because I've been trying to get her on the podcast for a while now. Um, and she actually messaged me after the conference and said she'd love to come on uh, to talk more in depth about AAC. Um, so I'm really excited to, to hear the interviews and um, especially uh, from Mike Murata. I'm really excited. Anything that has to do with Google and different you know, extensions or apps or hacks, I'm all about. So I, I'm sure he has a lot of really great wisdom to, to share in that department. Yes, I think we should definitely do maybe a future episode all about productivity specific to Google because so many people are using it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love Google and I feel like it's it's really great when you kind of dive headfirst into all the Google things. At one point, I was kind of doing a little bit of Google stuff and a little bit of other stuff. Um, and I realized that the, the best approach with Google is to just do everything Google. Google Sheets, Google Docs, Google Drive, you know, Google email, everything Google um, makes your life a lot easier. It's really, it's really a great platform to, you know, share, especially. It's so hard to collaborate. You have all these things on your laptop and you want to share them with, you know, people that you're working on a team with. And like you and I, we're, you know, preparing for the SLP to be talk. We're sharing on our Google slides, um, going back and forth to create a presentation. So um, it's just really a great platform and I'm all about the productivity hacks. So we're going to definitely dedicate an entire episode to that. Rachel, I couldn't agree more about what you said about going all Google. Um, my wife and I traded our third child into Google. We sold them to Google about five years ago. The best, best thing we've ever done. Uh, I've, everything is in Google now. Uh, in fact, it makes it more difficult when people try and give me paper. Like I like, what do you, what do you, I, how do I do this? What is this paper thing? Yeah. So I, I've been working in Google for years now. And once you've just given yourself over to the Google gods, it's uh, it's a lot easier. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to hear these interviews. So uh, without further ado, let's, um, let's listen to all of Chris's interviews at all the conferences that he was just at. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? So welcome to Talking With Tech, and here I am with Christine Bowden. Am I saying that right, Christine? Yes. Bowden, right? Yes. Awesome. And so, Christine, you're sort of famous in the field a little bit for having started AAC for the SLP, the Facebook group that is kind of blown up. Everyone kind of posts questions there and answers them there, and it's this huge uh, community of people kind of trying to wrestle the speech therapists that are working in AAC, all the, all the problems and questions that come up. So tell us a little bit, how did that get started? What was your impetus behind that? Well, um, I've been in the field for 20 years um, as an AAC evaluator and also therapist, and I've just kind of seen over the years that there really wasn't a place to go that people could really ask questions besides the SIG-12 um, listserv. And I know with myself, when I, um, I was, you know, was a member of that and I would get emails, but I would feel a little intimidated to ask questions there because everyone there, they were such experts and everything. And, and so when Facebook kind of 
became a thing. Um, I started following some groups like the SLP at large group and people were posting questions about AAC. And then I thought, wow, you know, that's really missing in Facebook, a group specific for AAC where people like myself and like other SLPs can go and feel comfortable asking questions and, you know, uh, collaborating with one another and finding out resources. So I decided to start this page, and um, it's just amazing what's happened. I mean, it started out as really tiny, and I just told some local people about it and asked them to share, and it wasn't really going anywhere, and I'm like, oh, you know, I really want to get this out more, and so then I uh, posted it in a couple of the big groups, and suddenly it's, you know, the word starts spreading, and now we have over 21,000 people. And um, I'm very grateful to the uh, to the moderators in the group, Catherine Dorney and, and Sharon Stanley. Um, they've been really, they've helped me so much with just moderating. And um, Catherine's been amazing. Um, everybody in the group knows who she is. She posts all the time and gives such incredible advice to people. Absolutely. And I'm so I'm grateful for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think what you just said there is really poignant since we're sitting here recording at ATIA 19, and I think there's people always in sessions that uh, would love to participate in conversations, but they might feel intimidated or they're not sure what they want to say, and you've given those people a voice, a place that they can go and ask those sorts of questions, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a place that, you know, anybody can go, and the thing is, it's not just for SLPs. I mean... I, I named it AAC for the SLP because the SLP, we are the ones in the front lines. We are the ones who see the kids. We are the ones who could potentially be the gatekeepers as well. And I wanted SLPs to find this group um, when it was growing. So that's why I called it AAC for the SLP. So this way SLPs, speech language pathologists, could search that term and find the group. Um, but it was always meant for all professionals working with children with complex communication needs, including paraprofessionals, teachers, occupational therapists. Um, so, Do you find that you have any families in, that, that pop in there too, or it's not um, so much? It's really for the professionals. It's really meant for professionals because there are many other groups on Facebook for families. However, we do have some members um, who are professionals and parents um, as well. Mm -hmm. So... Um, it, that's really wonderful to have the perspective of uh, those professionals whenever they chime in on conversations. Have you, and having done this for a while now, have you have any stories of people that have like, oh my gosh, I read this on, on and, it, and it changed, or thank you so much for having this group, anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, people see me and they, they, they recognize me, I guess, because I post, you know, in the, in the group sometimes, not as much as I used to, but... Um, yeah, and people say it's really, I mean, our, our uh, file section is incredible, um, thanks to, you know, Catherine and other members of the group um, who post different resources, and um, so people learn so much from there, and also we have now, we have Tuesday Tips, so, which is um, different companies can post uh, on resources that they've developed for learning. So uh, that's been really wonderful, too. And I think, in general, people really can get so much information out of the group. I mean, all you have to do is search a term, such as aided language input or whatever it is, and you'll find so many different posts um, on, on those, uh, you know, in, in those different areas. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for creating the site because I know I use it all the time. It is um, once upon a time when I first started in social media, 
uh, I, th- I kept it very divided, right? So Facebook was all for family, and I could post my, my, uh, my kids' pictures there so my mom mm-hmm. would see it, you know, and Twitter was my professional life. And so I did, okay, if I'm going to do something with AAC or do something with assistive technology, that goes to Twitter. And groups like yours that, that, that you started has, has blended those worlds, right? And, and mm-hmm. as, as you, when I started all those years ago, I thought I could keep it delineated, but then you start making relationships with people in those professional realms and they become your friends. And so now they shift over to Facebook. And so now those two worlds are blended for me. Um, And part of it is these groups because then you start to participate in the groups and you become friends with people and you know them and you trust them because they're sharing good resources and information, even if you haven't met them face to face. So that when you do come to a conference like this and you meet them, you're like, I feel like I know you. I mean, I do know you. I know you through this other way. Uh, Because sometimes I think social media gets a bad rap and Mm. telling stories like this is like, no, it's just a tool like any other and you can use it to bring a lot of good to the world. Oh yeah. I think it's, I think Facebook is really incredible. I mean, I, too, when I first joined Facebook, it was more of a social thing, finding out about friends and families. But now I would say 80% of what I'm reading on Facebook is just learning things about our profession. And um, it's not what's great about it is, you know, before this social media, we would have to sit down with a book and learn and say, okay, I'm going to learn for the next hour. But the way it works with social media is you just kind of scroll through something, post something that interests you, they post a link to an article. And before you know it, you're down a rabbit hole of learning so many new things. So uh, it's just such a wonderful resource out there. That's so much more than just finding out how your family and friends are doing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for creating that. And uh, we'll, of course, have it linked in the show notes so that everyone can find it. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Hi there. Welcome to Talking With Tech. This is Chris Bougay, and I'm here with Michael. Michael, how do you say your last name? Uh, Dispinagitis, D-I-C-P-I-N-I-G-A-I-T-I-S. It's a long one. <laughs> no, Michael, uh, how old are you? I'm 16 years old. I'm a junior at Jericho High School, Long Island, New York, and I'd like to talk about a little bit about um, what I'm doing. Uh, myself and five other students, we're working outside of school. We've uh, created a website, JerichoAdaptsToys.org, and we're actually adapting um, battery-operated toys and other, um, other toys for children with uh, orthopedic impairments across Long Island. Currently, we're working with uh, four schools, uh, such as um, BOCES Carmen Road, we have UCP Suffolk, um, Angeles House, and yeah, and we are working with them. We're currently looking to expand our program, uh, working with other schools, and we just want to make um, all these toys available for free because we believe that all, all children should be able should be allowed to play independently. And to do this, we have created a lending library. So the schools are allowed to borrow a certain amount of toys. So far, we're starting with five, but we plan to increase that over time. And the students will be able to play with them for about a month, and then they will return them back to us, and we will allow them to, and then we will bring them new toys. Also, um, we, we just purchased a 3D printer. We're looking into new AT um, sort of like innovations. Uh, we're currently creating switches, also mounts. We're looking into those. and. Uh, so far, we're just going to try to expand it from there. Oh, my gosh. That sounds amazing. What <laughs> an you. awesome endeavor. How did it all get started? I mean, where did the, the idea come from? Well, my mom, Christine Bowden, she's a speech pathologist. So she's in an associated field. And one, field, and one day, um, she was sort of talking about this. And I chimed in. And I thought, 
wow, this is really cool. Could this like be applied in the real world? And then we looked up and we found another website, but you know, the switch adapted toys are really outdated and there aren't many and there hasn't been like a borrowing program like this that's like, you know, wide scale. And I don't think like a high schooler has ever done this before, so we thought it would be a really great thing to, you know, help others and like everyone would benefit from this. We were watching a video on it and we just thought, wow, this is a really great thing to do and we reached out to the schools and we learned how to adapt toys and and so far, it's just been great from there. Yeah, yeah. Now, so it started with you, but then you said you have like a team of five other. Yeah, people. so I have five other students in the team. My sister, I have a couple of other friends. We are all like adapting. Like uh, every week, we have a meeting for a couple hours. We go over what we're doing, working on the website, um, adapting some toys, really looking at the future, what we're going to do. And yeah, we're just going to see what we do from there. We're still working, but we're hoping to expand, um, reach as many schools as we can across Long Island. And yeah. When you when you first started, did you know how to adapt a toy, like with battery adapters and soldering irons, or did you have to learn all that stuff? Um, actually, we went to a make, the Maker Fair this year in um, New York, and I've learned to solder there. And we've also like seen, we've read, we've seen videos of how to adapt toys. We're currently looking into like the different types of toys we can do. We've uh, done ball machines. We've done sort of like a penguin slide ladder. We're not just doing plush toys, but we're just trying to expand um, to as many toys as we can. But that's how we learned it. And we continue to learn of how to adapt toys and really make these solutions for others. So there's the whole aspect of adapting the toy, right? And so then the toy is adapted. You have it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's switch adapted primarily, yes, right? switch adapted. And then, um, then there's the whole other second part, which is finding who could, who could know about the lending library that you've just created and then borrow it. So how did that all get organized? How did you make those affiliations? Um, well, we, we've reached out to the schools. We've found the schools across Long Island. We've reached out to them. I've actually uh, gone there before school some days and met with the administrators, the principals, and we've gone over this project and, you know, they seem really interested and we've just built off it from there and currently we're working with four schools, as I mentioned, and we hope to reach out to more programs and expand it as far as we can. That's amazing. Thank That's you. amazing. You said you had kind of had this large vision of, of, of how it could be widespread. So yeah. tell, tell me more about that. What are you thinking? Well, we hope to reach out to more schools. We, we're still looking into it, but throughout Long Island, we want to have possibly all the schools, and we want to reach out to all of them and have you know, switch adapted toys for all of them because these are very important because switch access leads to like possibilities of the communication device. So starting with these toys can lead to, you know, communications devices for these children. And it's just really great because like sometimes during off time, the kids, you can um, put the switches in front of them and they can access them. They can learn the cause and effect relationship. And we just think it's really great if we can, you know, help them do that with our program. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We, um, where I work, we have done that too. We have a small lending library, switch mm -hmm. adapted toys. We've been um, also uh, um, created a lending library, but again, it's small scale. It's not across all of yeah. uh, like Long Island. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's just our school district. Do you do you anticipate any like if there was other people that wanted to learn how to do what you did? Um, how would they do that? Is there like training that they could go to, or are um, you thinking of that? Yeah, we're thinking of actually maybe working with a couple of schools and possibly like showing them how to adapt the toys, like the OTs there, um, like providing like a training. We're still looking into that. Not sure yet, but also 
like maybe present to others. Like we've also like presented to a Boy Scout troop on our project. We're also trying to like fundraise for shipping. Also is one thing we're looking into. We're gonna fundraise for uh, purchasing more toys uh, for three D printer solutions, things like that. Because gotcha, right now it's free, right? The whole yeah. idea of the lending library yeah. is free. The whole thing is free. That's really our goal. We want to make everything free for all the schools around us. And you know, no one really around our area has done that. So we just want to be like the first ones to do that and make it as wide scale as possible. So you need funding for more toys, I would imagine, mm -hmm. right? To, or um, could people donate toys? Is that really? Yeah. Um, well, we have to coordinate it with the uh, person, but through on um, the website, we have like a contact slide. So you can contact us. It's our web, our email is uh, jerichoadaptstoys at gmail.com. So you can email us if you're like interested in donating a toy, also like donating to us. Everything's on our website. Again, visit it at jerichoadaptstoys.org. If you are interested in donating a toy, again, like battery-operated toys, like plush toys are the best, but also we're looking into other solutions, as I mentioned before, and we can coordinate like a place, like a drop-off place, possibly at like a school near us. Um, place to drop it off and we can adapt it. Also, like if you are a parent and you're interested, uh, we can actually adapt the toy for you and, you know, get it back to you as long as you like provide us with the toy. We'll provide you with um, the adapted version as a result. That's fantastic. So one last question here. Okay. Yeah. So right now we're at ATIA 19 yeah. and I pulled you out of the AT <laughs> maker group uh, space experience, I guess is the best way to put it, right? There's a, all these things going on yeah, down in the exhibit hall. So w what have you seen or what have you, what have you, what's your experience like so far? Well, there's a lot of, you know, incredible things there. A lot of the AT teams I'm learning things that I never thought before, like um, adapting cars, like remote control cars. There's, uh, there's so many like options. There's so many things to do there. And just like seeing the teams and speaking to them and like seeing what they're really doing and like the projects they're involved in, it's just like an incredible experience. Also visiting like um, the other uh, booths around and you know, seeing like Microsoft, like their AT um, Xbox controller. That was also really interesting learning about that. And yeah, overall, it's just been an incredible experience. I hope to go back after this and keep learning. Some awesome. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for the thank conversation. You so much. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, and I think it's going to be a real inspiration. It, you could be a, a trendsetter for how <laughs> other clubs around the country, maybe around the world, follow along making these adapted toys for the kids that need them. Yeah, thank you for having me. I just hope to reach out to as many as possible, you know, inspire others and just help those that may not have the ability to, you know, try to play independently, and we'll go from there. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much. Well, welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Mike Marotta at the FETC conference. Actually, we're standing in our hotel room right now, Mike. So welcome to Talking With Tech. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, we've been doing these small talk episodes or small talk uh, chunks, which are like five minutes or less. Tell us something to know. And now, so you're kind of well known for this, for, for inclusive uh, education and practices and especially doing stuff with Chrome lately. So tell us about Chrome. What, what is that exactly? So Chrome. Chrome. Chrome is, I'm not supposed to say things like this, but the greatest thing ever. No, it is just a really powerful tool to use to customize a computer experience for 
people of any ability. So it really gives us this flexibility to ensure that everyone can be successful in the tasks they have to do. So Chrome, you probably all know it, it's your browser. It's your browser on your computer, whether you're using it on a computer or a mobile device, it's where you get to the internet. But the, the power of Chrome is in the ways we can customize it with things like apps and extensions that we can drop into the Chrome browser that give us the ability to have pages read out loud, change the visual representation on a page, strip out distracting pieces of information on a website so we can focus just on the task that's there. Uh, those happen through extensions. All of these tools as you download them, and most of them are free, um, some are not, some have pay, but most are free, um, you can put those in and they attach to your profile. And when we think about Chrome, the, one of the key pieces of that is you're no longer tied to the computer you're sitting at, you are attaching these tools to your profile. Your profile follows you to any device. So you can sit down at any computer, log into it with your Chrome profile, and make that computer your computer. That's awesome. So those terms that you throw around, extension, we hear them a lot in mm -hmm. education. What's an extension versus an app versus an add-on? Those are they seem to be used interchangeably, but they're not. There's some differences. What what's the differences? Yeah, they are really different actually. And so when we think about add-ons, I'll start there. They're the easiest. Add-ons attach themselves their little extra features you can drop into tools like Google Docs, Google Slides, Google Forms. Those are add-ons. Those add-ons only work in the program you install them in. So you add a Google Docs add-on. You add an add-on for forms, and that only works there. So those are very specific, and they add extra functionality to those tools we use in the G Suite productivity suite, so your docs and forms and slides. For Chrome, apps are kind of interesting. Apps, to me, really, if you boil them down, are nothing more than bookmarks to a web service most times. So a Chrome app is a simple icon you can click on and it takes you to a website. Then you get to that website, you log into it and do whatever work you have to do. Extensions, when you install them, make adjustments and give you supports in the tab you are currently in. So think about you're in your browser, you open your email, and you're there. You turn on an extension to give you text-to-speech to read it out loud. The text-to-speech is working in just the tab you're in at that moment. So extensions give you extra supports in the workspace you already have open. Yeah, absolutely. So if I was looking at my browser, the extensions that I have installed are typically in the top right. It's that line of little icons next to the URL bar, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So they are they line up right along the URL bar. Uh, what I would uh, caution people is don't have too many running at the same time. They will start to uh, slow down your machine, make your, your browser run a little sluggish if you have too many. Of course, uh, this is one of those do as I say, not as I do, because I must have 400 of them running. Uh, but try if you can, especially if you're working with a, a student or an individual on a Chromebook that's one of the less expensive Chromebooks. They tend to not be very high-powered devices, so you want to keep as much off as you can so that it's not draining the power of the device. That's an awesome, awesome tip. So if there was one app or extension or add-on that you would like to tell people about from a productivity tool, meaning um, I'm a professional and I use this for myself, not necessarily for students, but maybe students as well, it depends. Yeah. Uh, is there something that comes to mind? There's a couple that right away come to mind. I think that uh, productivity and organization, and when we think about executive function and keeping people on track, all of those extensions start to pile up, and it's hard to remember which ones are on and off and which ones I'm using. Uh, so I like to point people towards an extension called Extensity, 
which gives me a drop-down menu to organize all of my extensions. Uh, that in itself has been really powerful because then you can turn them all on and off right from this drop-down menu and not have to go into the settings and find them and turn them on and off. They're just right there for you. So that's a really nice one. The other one, which we could do a whole other five, ten minute clip on, is Google Keep. And so I'm going to completely dive off and say when I think productivity, uh, I think Google Keep. For everybody out there who's a Post-it Note user, this is your digital version of a Post-it Note. But the best kind of Post-it Note because you don't lose it and it automatically syncs to every device you own through your Google account. Uh, you can leave text pictures, color code things you can organize with labels. Uh, you can set reminders for yourself so they pop up. I just had one pop up two minutes before we started of something I have to do today. So this idea of keeping yourself on track. Uh, if you're not using Google Keep, you're, you might be missing the best part of the G Suite right now. You know I'm a big Google Keep fan. I got a tattoo right here on my arm with Google <laughs> Keep on it. For years, I tried to get myself organized with Evernote or OneNote, which are all good tools for other people that just didn't resonate with me. It wasn't a tool for me until I got Google Keep. And I was like, this makes sense to me. Yeah. So if you haven't tried it, definitely check it out. Yeah, and I had the same exact experience. I kept trying to force Evernote onto myself, and it just, for whatever reason, just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm a, I'm a big believer of the Post-it Notes in the Pocket syndrome. Uh, and so Google Keep has gotten me out of that syndrome and kept it all digital where I can find it. Awesome. Mike, if uh, people wanted to catch up with you and find out more about you and learn more from you, because this is just a tip of the iceberg, what you got to share, what uh, where, where do people find you? Uh, people can reach out to me. I'm on Twitter, at MMATP. They can check my website, MMATP.com. Awesome. And one last thing, you are also a fellow podcaster. So tell us real quick, tell us about your podcast. Yeah, so if you're interested, I do a, a weekly podcast, a real short podcast, usually about five to ten minutes. Uh, it's called Inclusive Technology for All. Touches on some new tools that are out there, some creative ways to use tools to be successful for people with disabilities, uh, and also uh, gives a weekly rundown of our uh, weekly AT Chat uh, Twitter chat. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Mike. Really Thanks, appreciate Chris. it. Have a great conference. Thanks, you too. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.